Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down the craft of adaptations with Sean and Sinead Persaud of Shipwrecked Comedy. But before we dive in, remember that we release bonus content for each episode that we do of this podcast over on patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. So if you want to support us and get a bunch of additional filmmaking and screenwriting resources, go check that out. But without further ado, welcome Sean and Sinead. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so obviously first place to start who are you and what do you make oh my gosh who are we <laughs> the existential question is getting are real a good place to start oh. mm-hmm. uh, right off the bat uh we oh. are a brother sister sorry no you you do it oh yeah no <laughs> we, are, we are brother and sister and we are a writing duo and we co-created shipwreck comedy and it is a youtube channel where we make All things literary, historical, comedic, spooky, macabre. Yeah, that's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) When did you guys start uh, writing together? Because I know you've both been in like stuff separately, but like at what point did you decide this is we're we're a team now? I mean, after our amazing work as child actors, uh, (laughs) movies for my Beanie Babies, it wasn't until about was it 2015 or so. I think 2000, 2013 is when we did the a Telltale vlog. Oh, yeah, that's true. But yeah, 2015 in earnest is when we really started sitting down. Yeah. yeah, sitting down at a computer together. Mm-hmm. One, so is that one how, you, how you write? Yeah, I was going to say, do you, do you share, a, like one of you has one hand on the keyboard, yeah, the other yeah. has the other? Yeah, I take uh, the top row, she takes the bottom rows. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a terrible system. We don't use the middle row. I don't know if you go back and read any of our stuff. <laughs> there's no A, there's no S, there's no D. Yeah. Wow. How do we write? Well, we we outline together. It, mm-hmm. Big picture, yeah, we outline together. Um, and then we divide by either by scene or by episode, depending on what we're doing. And we send stuff back and forth. We try to punch everything up. Um in the case of our latest show, Headless, we wrote that first draft over the first year or so of the pandemic in lockdown. So that was all on wow. all on Zoom and very disjointed. Wouldn't recommend it. We had a lot of cleaning up and streamlining to do after. We have a like 70-page doc called Headless Scratch for our just ideas. Oh, my God. Make it, j- pages of jokes outlines and then like re-outlines to the point where we didn't know what was the real outline anymore Uh, oh my gosh (laughs) we had so many different beat sheets and we were like which version is this yeah oh boy now that we're done every now and then no we're not done uh we're we're in the (laughs) middle of post-production but now that we're kind of done with the writing aspect every now and then we have to go back and find something um in a script page um like like for certain adr notes we took we were doing sure. revisions on set and now we have to find old scripts and just it's a nightmare it's just like giving me flashbacks of trying to keep up with all those documents mm-hmm. i mean it's good that you at least archived it i know some people like they just rewrite the existing document and they have no record whatsoever don't do that yeah no, no. <laughs> have, have your 70 page scratch sheet if that's you know the bare minimum mm-hmm. that you can do but have something yeah we definitely have too many 
we cut a lot of things that we then are like, well, we could use this joke later in something else. So we steal from ourselves a lot from these docs. Yeah, that's good. I bet it's helpful that the two, you have two of you. So you like if one of you doesn't remember the joke, but you have a backup person. That's what collaboration is about. Having a backup yeah, having person. Having a backup person. Someone to <laughs> my grammar. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so yeah, so let's let's talk about headless since obviously that's like your your current project. It's actively airing right now. Um, tell us about headless, how it started, and uh, and what's going on right now. Yeah. Well, headless started in a very silly way. I um, was obsessed with the Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow as a young, as a young, and uh, <laughs> did write a lot of fan fiction for it. And one of my fan fictions was just like a silly kind of sitcom-y version of like, what was the Headless Horseman up to? He was just trying to like vibe and have a regular life. Um, and it was very silly and they were very short. But this idea kind of, I guess I floated it to you at some point, Sean, as like a, what if Ichabod and the Headless Horseman were roommates? And it was just kind of like a series of funny shorts of them hanging out. And then from there, it became so much more than that <laughs> so much bigger so much more expensive <laughs> so much more expensive so much so plotty um and now it gets it's it's its own weird thing a uh, modern adaptation of washington irving's sleepy hollow with lots of characters from washington irving's oeuvre is that how you pronounce the word i really wanted to use it but um yeah i think i think that was good and if it not is, i prefer yeah. that, per, that incorporating characters from his other short stories and new characters that we came up with so that's cool had you read him extensively before that no or did you read it specifically for this project I had read the short story before and maybe Rip Van Winkle at some point but I did reread it like a couple of times while we were doing this project and then again just the other day (laughs) for reasons (laughs) Uh, yeah I think I had read those two short stories like in high school but they're so iconic that you, so you know, you know them, you know the idea, but yeah, I, yeah, it got so expensive. (laughs) The original idea was really fun. It was just going to be like a sitcom in, in their house. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we were like, and what if um, Brahm is like this kind of character? And then what if there's a, I think, I think a part of our writing process for what we're doing now, which is uh, we produce stuff for YouTube so we are at the whims of of anybody who happens to come across our stuff, and everybody has so many options for what they can watch and do with their time. So we kind of want to build in a mystery and cliffhangers to make people come back. So we were like, "How do we do that with this sitcom?" And then it just turned into like this big, this big thing, this big mystery, massive so, production. Yeah, that's interesting because I I've also talked to web series creators who have the opposite strategy, which is because anyone can come across us at any time. Mm-hmm. We're just on YouTube. Every episode needs to be self contained, so that like regardless of when you're coming in, it makes sense. And they you know we're not adding extra work. Have mm-hmm. you? I know you guys have done slightly more episodic stuff in the past. Like, have you found that the cliffhanger does work better or? Any, any comparison between the two strategies you have? Since we are definitely a smaller YouTube channel, I I guess we kind of gave up on the whole like getting something to go viral or anything. Sure. And we're more about, because we do want to um, be like traditional television writers. And this is almost, honestly, I don't want to say practice because it's 
so much more than practice. It's like our Mm -hmm. pride and joy. And we're very, very proud of the show, but we do want to make shows on the internet that are similar to shows you'd want to watch on a regular streaming network and shows that we'd want to watch. And I think we really respond well to mysteries and just kind of getting to know characters and wanting to know what the ending is going to be. So I think we're okay with that. Yeah. I think that makes sense. That's what I was going to say. Like, this is the kind of stuff I want to watch. So that's, that it makes it a lot easier to make that kind of thing, to get really invested in it. Yeah. No, I think that totally makes sense. You have to be when <laughs> you're yeah. making something. It's like, yeah, it takes a lot out of you. So so you, you guys said that you were developing the script over the first year of the pandemic. So that's 2020, like early 2020 to early 2021. Mm-hmm. What point are you actually starting the, the crowdfund and production? We started the crowdfunding last year, 2021 in June, I want to say. It's all okay. Popular. I think June. And then that sounds right. From then it was just a matter of and I mean we were honestly finishing the script. We made changes during production. Like it was that because of various things, but COVID was a huge a huge barrier in when we got mm-hmm. to start production and our timing sure. and it would be like, "Oh, well, I guess we got to wait another 3 months. Guess that's another 3 months to do touch-ups on the script." Uh so it oh, wow. never ending process we went through a couple different producers who had different notes and we just tried to appease some of them and making cuts and changing things and I want to say I say appease but I think we're very happy with where it ended up yeah I think um there were some things where they wanted us to do certain things and we did not appease them uh (laughs) I don't I yeah I feel like Mm -hmm. appease like we didn't we didn't like roll over but sometimes you know when you get notes you you don't, you don't just take them all blindly. You have to think about them and say like, well, look at this from a different perspective. Does this make this better? Does this make it easier to film? And like, where's the line between those two? And um, I think we definitely did that. But then we also pushed back on some things that I think would have made the project not as good. I think that just making a show over this these past couple of years that have been so out there for everybody has I want to think that anything we do coming like after this will be so easy compared to this just like (laughs) the tears and stress of not knowing if our locations would be available if actors would book jobs and move away if uh, someone would call it in the middle of our shoot when we did finally shoot it was just a constant nightmare and we can't believe right now you guys work with such huge casts that Mm -hmm. like your your potential for disaster is exponential (laughs) we had um we had backup cast members and and crew members for for covid related reasons but that was like that took us to like the beginning of filming once we got somebody on film that was it yeah you, you can't get covid now for two more weeks. John is yeah. the lead, and it, if he got COVID, it was just goodbye, all of our money, and goodbye, show. <laughs> so we kept yeah. a little cocoon. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what were your protocols to try and to, for, for other people who are thinking of shooting right now? Oh my gosh, we had a COVID officer, a requirement, but also we would highly recommend tested every morning every three days you'd have to or every three days or once a week you have to do a pcr on your own and then testing every morning and then we had face shields masks hand sanitizer everywhere everything 
was outside for the most part, like all holding and everything. Yeah, craft services. Our craft services, everything had to be pre-wrapped and all of our catering had to be packaged. So no buffet style stuff like we did on our last few shoots. Um, so there was, there was a lot to consider and it was so expensive. <laughs> I was going to say like, even just the catering thing, yeah, like the reason really. everyone does buffet is because that's so mm-hmm. much easier and cheaper. Our hair and makeup and wardrobe was in one of the buildings that we shot in was this, this big empty church that was falling apart so it was almost like being outside yeah (laughs) i will say on this and on other things i've been on that have more money uh since covid started the face shield thing is is the hardest masks i was fine with like i'll i'll put on i mean it's it's hard because of makeup but you know you have a makeup person there to to do touch-ups but the the face shields like mess up your hair yeah they wrap around Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I feel like by the end of our shoot, the face masks were strewn about and no (laughs) one was using them anymore. People were using masks, definitely, Mm -hmm. especially inside, but the face shields were like, what? No. (laughs) Are they both required? Like, or is it a one or another thing? Like what, what's Um, the actual like protocol? What what is, I think that I don't know that they're, I don't know that face shields are required. I think that's more of a consideration for makeup and not messing up makeup. Um, but I think, uh, it ended up to hell with hair. Yeah, basically. Yeah. One or the other, (laughs) everybody in our show has terrible hair, I guess. (laughs) But I think, yeah, I think at a certain point we were like, this is more trouble than it's worth. So we were just stuck with the masks and I don't really looking back on it. I don't, I don't remember being like, Oh God, I'll put this stupid mask on looking back on our BTS photos. It's a lot of, uh, sure. People in masks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what an exciting picture to look at. But... but no one got COVID. Our shoot was three weeks long and no one got COVID. Yeah, that's the important part. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, let's let's switch over to like actually talking about the adaptation process because yeah. you've both worked on adaptations before. You've done adaptations before. Poe Party isn't specifically an adaptation, but you're obviously pulling a lot from each yeah. of the individual authors. Ivra, if we're gonna mm-hmm. if we're gonna put that into the show more. Um, so I, I let, let's start at the beginning, specifically from Headless. So like, Sinead, you'd already written fan fiction about mm-hmm. these characters. So what was it about this story that you were like, there's more to be said here? I, I think a lot of it is that Sean and I really love comedy. And I love mashing weird and spooky things that you wouldn't normally think would be funny with being funny so like Mm. oh and the headless horseman it's like a very serious spooky tale that has themes of like economics and uh male versus female and supernatural versus science and you're like well what if it was just really silly and the headless horseman was just bopping around and (laughs) needed a roommate i thought that was like delightful hopefully other people (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's not and i think you i mean sean is my older brother. A lot of people think we're twins, but he's my older brother. And he really um, is the person who showed me a lot of what made my comedic sensibilities what they are today. So I got it from him. (laughs) And Sean, for you, when you're looking at the like, what Sinead has done in the past, and your own familiarity with the source material, what jumped out to you as like, yeah, this is this is the next thing? That's a good question. Because we 
throw out so many ideas that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. And then with headless, it was like, Oh no, wait, this is something. There's like, this is really cool. I think because sleepy hollow is as a short story. I don't want to say that. How do I say this? There's, there's, it's a, (laughs) how do I say this? Uh, There's a lot going on thematically, but in terms of plot, it's like, there's not, there's, there's not a lot going on in the short story. It's a guy goes to a party somebody tells it's not even a ghost story it's like somebody tells him a ghost story that story has no plot it's just like there's a spooky ghost and then he goes home and he (laughs) and he gets spooked and that's it but there's something about it that like even if you haven't read that story you know who the headless horseman is you you can see it and so that's i think what made it so appealing to adapt was like there are elements here that are that are really iconic and big and you can do something with but it itself is not such a you don't have to be beholden to this like plot and these all of these things that happen in it. It was just sort of like a these are these are great elements for a story and now we can do kind of whatever we want. We can take them and go in any direction. And the direction that we were thinking of was like so interesting and new for us we hadn't seen anything like this with this <laughs> with this uh, I was gonna say IP. <laughs> Jeez. Um <laughs> So I think that's what what made it like so appealing for me. That's a good point. I think a lot of people when they think of like adaptations, they're thinking of like a complete like a novel or Mm -hmm. something like that. But you're right, there's so much else you have to be beholden to that that can get complicated. And that was going to be my next question, actually. So like where when you are starting an adaptation, or when you're doing like when you're adapting an element for whatever your your repurposing of it is where do you tend to start is it setting is it theme is it character like where where's where's the beginning of that process i think for i'm just speaking about our projects that we've done which have been like the little women sketch and and Mm -hmm. and and this it's kind of a concept just like oh my gosh what if this happened what if the horseman was roommates what if the march sisters were occultists what if Edgar Allan Poe had a dinner party which you know is fine I feel like a lot of people are like character first but that comes very 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 close second and we agonize over that later but I think up front it's just kind of like oh oh my gosh this is silly what if this happened and then trying to take that to its absolute extremes I also think when we're doing that stuff conceptually the character stuff is baked in because like that Poe throwing a party is so I don't know. It's so he's such a macabre, like loner figure that the idea of him doing that is so funny. And you get to explore his character through that. And like the same thing with mm-hmm. little Vivimin, or little, little Vivimin, uh, which is what we call it. Um, <laughs> it the idea that they are in a, a coven uh, and that they're witches is like, I think it's like taking the thematic, the, the themes from the, from the, or some of the themes from the, from the book and like heightening them to like times a billion and just seeing where that takes you. So I think it, I think when, I think that's what we might not look at it as like character first, but I think when we think of a concept that just makes sense to us, it's because it works on a character level. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that does. Okay. So you have your situation, which sort of has to inform character. It's like, okay, if Poe's going to throw a party, a lot of things then have to be true about our version of Mm Poe. So from there, is it a matter of like, 
you read through the source material again and say like, okay, who else are we keeping from this? And how did they factor into this? Or, you know, what's next? Yeah, Yeah. I feel like I remember us coming up with characters for, for Headless and kind of, it was like a throw everything at the wall. And a lot of stuff didn't stick. We have a lot of characters from Washington Irving stories that were like, this would have been cool, but it just doesn't really fit into what story we're telling, which was a bummer. But on a very like basic level, I just love to have like Easter eggs for people who are super literary nerds. Like this character is going to be in it and this character is going to be in it. And maybe they don't really have anything to do with what they were doing in the story, but it's, it's cute. It's fun. Um, which is what I love about watching adaptations of things like, I don't know, like Clueless or the recent Fire Island. I'm just like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, that's so funny. They did that with that character. Um, it doesn't have to be anything too deep, but but yeah. And then a lot of stuff we we do stay a little closer to the source material with, which is which is exciting to see what what naturally kind of vibes with the world that we create. So can you give me an example of one of the characters that you would have loved to have as an Easter egg, but ultimately didn't work and, and why that didn't work in your particular adaptation? Yeah. Should I say one about Headless, John? Yeah, I've got a couple, but... Yeah, there's one character, a real character from history called Major Andres, who was um, a Revolutionary War spy, and he didn't make it into our cut. It would have been really cool. He could have been like a fun ghost or something, or just like a... We do mention him in Unsolved Babe Stories, the stretch goal side... um, podcast yeah it's no it's like it's a real series we filmed it oh boy oh, um nice. yeah uh so we do mention him but there's a character that we had to cut he's it was going to be played by um blake silver who was in poe party and his name was tom walker and we cut we cut him for a variety of reasons one was was covid uh, he he blake left la for a while and and couldn't make it back for the shoot and then when when that when we were looking at that, like what what's our backup plan for this? We realized we need to cut this 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 show down, and we can kind of pull this character out fairly easily. Uh, we'll have to do a little rewriting here and there, and then the fact that we could pull him out so easily was like, well, it's probably good. But he was based on a character from a Washington Irving short called The Devil and Tom Walker, which was more of a thematic like idea for his character. And that would have been really fun. There was all, for all those so, Washington Irving fangirls <laughs> out there. <laughs> we know you're out there. Yeah. So that's a production cut. Do you have any like this just this character doesn't work in the world examples? I don't know about that. I feel like we could probably make anyone fit because this <laughs> world in particular is very zany. There's all sorts of bonkers people. But uh, yeah, I think in a perfect world where we had all the money, we couldn't be stopped. We would have so much <laughs> that you wouldn't be know what to do with it. We would be the George R. R. Martin of the comedy world. <laughs> Well, that's kind of what we're what we're doing now with our next project, which is a sequel to the case of the Gilded Lily, our short film, which is a mm-hmm. it's a film noir comedy uh, set in ni- this one's set in 1940. We're doing that as an audio narrative, and so there's no there really is no boundaries for us. We uh, we don't have to film it, so I'm a little worried that we. <laughs> You need some kind of boundary to be like, no, you can't do this. But right now we're we're looking at our outline and we're like, oh my God. 
God. Ooh, there's, there's so character. much. <laughs> so then outside of character, uh, what other elements of like the adaptation process do you kind of go to next? Like, is it about modern? Is it always about modernizing it? Or is it about allowing the anachronism to like be the comedy like what you know for location for profession for social mores that obviously have changed significantly since these stories were first told well this one is our first modern adaptation i think right yeah yeah i guess poe doesn't like when does when is poe set since obviously all those authors were not from the same period of time (laughs) good question (laughs) um the late 1800s sure yeah the anachronisms for for poe were who were part of the, the comedy. Yeah, the, yeah, the idea that this doesn't, this isn't real, this can't be real. And nobody has any idea when this is taking place. Like they mention a car at one point. <laughs> but yeah, I think the idea for this, it was always, we always wanted to do like a modern update on this, like like a modern day Sleepy Hollow. I'm not sure why. I, I just thought, I don't know why either. It definitely works better for cost. We were like, this sure. is gonna be great. Not that that's why we made it modern. I think we made it modern because the comedic sensibilities work better. It, I guess it could work back in the, when does this short story take place? Whenever the short story takes place. But I think it makes it so much funnier that it is modern and that those two time periods are clashing. So what were, what was the kind of like translation process like? Like, did you make a list of like, these are the things that don't exist anymore. What are we doing instead? Or was it more organic than that? No, I think it was pretty organic. We kind of started with um, Ichabod's character and that was, it's all pretty easy to translate to modern times. There are still school teachers. He's still (laughs) a a science guy, but he's a little less unlikable than the short story character and the Disney character who's like, stop eating everyone's food. (laughs) Um, You just like don't walk and read at the same time. It's rude and you're not looking where you're going. (laughs) So unlikable. (laughs) god this asshole reading and walking (laughs) walking look where you're going our ichabod is i think very likable very still very flawed but it was so easy to bring like oh yeah a school teacher moving to a new town that's easy the character katrina she is more of like a a socialite like daughter of a businessman in the show so we're like okay mayor's daughter great she's got her own thing going she's like a modern a modern gal um, we still have like magical, whimsical things going on in the world. And there's the Brom- Abraham Van Brunt character, Brom Bones. And he is, you know, a modern day bro instead of a <laughs> 1700s bro, like sword fighting and doing stuff. I think um, for Kat, for Katrina and for Brom, like Katrina in the short story is not really much of a character. She's just there. She exists as like the blooming Katrina, is <laughs> yeah, and and she's really a an like an object for like Ichabod and Brom to like you know to 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 fight to fight over, I guess. And uh, so we we really had free reign to like create a new character for her and and make her more than just a a love interest. And then with Brom, that I think that's one of our maybe my favorite like adaptation like modernization because. We took, he's this character who's just like the, the town tough guy. And we, we made, we made him a, the town tough guy, but somebody who exists in this year, 2022, with all of the social advances we've made in the last 
five, 10, 15 years, who's really trying to work on his toxic masculinity and really trying to be aware of being a jerk and failing sometimes, sometimes, but, but thinking he's doing great. So there's even when sure. he's, he's like advancing and progressing, Evolved. yeah, evolving, there's that base nature of him where he's like, but I'm doing great at this. I'm the best at evolving that there ever was. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. Do you think that because you're going funny, you're taking things that are not typically comedy and making them comedy, that you have more freedom to evolve certain characters or be more modern with choices that people who are doing straight adaptations maybe wouldn't be able to or would be criticized more for doing? Yeah, I definitely do. <laughs> yeah, I ne I've never even thought of it that way. I just think of it in that I'm not good at drama because it always turns <laughs> into comedy, whether people think it's funny or not. I'm just like, I gotta cut it with a joke. I don't know. Um, not to say that there isn't some some drama in our show, but but yeah, it is just more, it's just easier to adapt things and go like heightened than it is to go like, Right, Brom is mm -hmm. just like like Brom as a drama character, modern day. I would be like, that would be really tough for me to write. Mm -hmm. Tough or boring, I think. But I do. I have thought of that in my more insecure moments, where I'm just like, what if this doesn't work? Why? Why are we doing this? This doesn't. Does this make sense? And then I'm like, well, it's funny, and if people are laughing, maybe they won't care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like the the Roger Rabbit rule, or it's like you know the how how do your magic powers work? However, it's funniest. Yeah, there's no consistency as long as it's funny. And that's one of our touchstones for everything we do is Roger Rabbit. So perfect. Yeah, that wasn't wasn't even planned. But le, speaking of insecurity and pushback, uh, yeah. I'm curious since obviously you guys have been in this space for quite a while as shipwrecked separately. When you're working on uh, adaptations, especially with uh, you know a, a fandom of nerds who are obsessed with the original source material have you had pushback in the past and and you know how do you think about that for the future how do you respond to that like what has been the audience reaction from people who are similarly obsessed with the source material of what you're working with i this is goes back to our constant struggle of not being big enough on the internet but also really liking where we are mm. on the in the world of the internet is that we have an amazing fan base that loves our work and would probably give us the benefit of the doubt if we made a misstep somewhere. And yeah, and it hasn't been too much of a problem, I would say. People are generally very kind and understand what we're doing with the source material and understanding that we're not taking anything away from you by, by doing our own spin on it. That being said, Oh, the good old Edgar Allan Poe days where people gave us crap for some of the costumes, which is totally fine. It's yeah. totally fine. Yeah, the costumes are not accurate. <laughs> These people did not all live at the same time. And some of our characterizations were a little off, but we did what we needed to do for the plot. Yeah, I mean, I think they were off, but like, oh, it, it wasn't an accident. On, on our part, it was like, we're doing this for a reason. We made a choice. And I think as long as we are able to back that up, I, I get really, I spiral about that sometimes where I'm, I'm just like, especially with Headless, there's a lot of stuff that, that sort of, you know, maybe happens off screen or, or requires just like a little leap of faith to, for, on the audience's part. And for me, I want to make sure that everything's justified on our end. 
that we, if anybody asked us any question, we could answer, even if you don't see it on screen, as long as we know what we're doing and why, and it's um, justified, then I'm fine with it. And then people can get mad about it, but I, it's not going to affect me that much. And I think uh, we've had criticisms where I've just been like, yeah, I agree with that. And even, even it's, it's stuff that I had been thinking about where it's like, yep, they, they saw the same thing I did. And, and then there's people that like criticize stuff where I'm just like, well, you, this, you, this just wasn't for you. And, um, sure. and I try not to let, and that, you know, can't let that bother you either. That's not to say I'm not ever bothered by criticism. Right? Sure. <laughs> but that's a bigger yeah. thing. I mean, yeah. you're, we're always going to face criticism, yeah. but it, it sounds like the, the distilled advice here is to, as long as you have a, a clear vision of what you are trying to do. Yeah. Some things are just not in that lane and yeah. you have to be okay with letting it go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, being okay with letting it go is uh, a uh, good, good <laughs> piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, we've done an entire episode on feedback and I'm feedback. sure we'll probably do another one in the future of just about that aspect of this whole crazy thing we're all doing. But it's, you know, I think it's always helpful to hear from people who are making big things. Yeah, they, they're experiencing it too. Everyone has to deal with it in their own way. Mm -hmm. Everyone's still learning. So are there any adaptation moments from past work, from Headless? I think we, we decided there's only two episodes that are out at the time of the release of this episode. But are there any particular adaptation elements that you have had in your previous works that you're like particularly proud of? Like, I love how clever we were with this particular adaptation, this joke, this modernization. Like, can you give us any high-level examples? I suppose this isn't exactly answering the question, but I think I can say this. We have a couple episodes out at this point, but if you've watched the show, you will have noticed that our very first episode encompasses the entirety of the short story. It's the first episode <laughs> is the short story, and we use that as like a cliffhanger. The ending is like a cliffhanger. You're introduced to the... But that... That we used the short story as a jumping off point for our story about Ichabod. So I think that totally answers the question, so like using the short yeah. story as your pilot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that. That was the plan from the beginning. It's one of the only things that has not changed was that we were, at least I was really, really adamant about having our last moment of the pilot be this moment. And I'm happy that it, that it's yeah. the same and that, we go through all the same story beats as the short story, but they're in a modern world with our Ichabod and our characters and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, I, I was pretty adamant about it too. And I think I'm glad I'm glad that we stuck with it. We we did run into a a few moments where we were like, is this working? Is this is the pace okay? Is this gonna feel like because there's a big if you've read the short story. Uh, or if you've seen the episode, it's been out for a little while. There's a big party. And for a while, like on the page, we were like, is, is this when the show starts? Like, all of, is this all set up? And like, we, we were worried about pacing. And there was talk about breaking it up into two episodes at one point. We didn't. And yeah, I'm very happy about that. We talked a lot about how shows on TV, the first episode has to be like a taste of what's to come. And we, or like a, a, just an example of what the show is going to be like. Like we used iZombie as an example. Like she is a zombie and then she solves a crime. And we were like, well, that doesn't happen in our first episode. It's all set up. But we were like, but 
it's different because it is an adaptation and we want to have the story of the short story and then you just deal with it. The rest of the show is, mm-hmm. is the premise. Um, and I think, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, it's important. Clarity of vision, you know, you had it, you committed to it. Yep. And it's great. Always, always questioning it, but did it anyway. Actually, I had a question uh, since since you you mentioned pacing. Um, obviously, you guys have like these massive productions. The you, your episodes are longer than I think most indie filmmakers, certainly most indie web series creators. Do you do like test screenings either just amongst your team, or do you have like separate people that you share cuts with? Like, what's what's the post process? I'm just curious. We did several script readings of it before for notes, but once okay. production starts, we are our own little like production team. Definitely yeah. show outside people for like scenes or like, what's your opinion of this? Do you think I should do another take? Is this making sense to you? Like, would sure. you understand what's happening? But not too much of that, I don't think. Yeah, a lot of the feedback stuff happens in pre-production. We do readings, but we also give the script to, we, we have a, a bunch of friends who are TV writers and a couple of them were nice enough to read through and and then get together with us and give like give us really detailed breakdowns. That's really nice to to get that kind of feedback. And some and sometimes they don't have the the thing that we're worrying about. They they don't even mention at all. It's not an issue for them. And then so okay, so so going through Headless Week, we had two different versions of the show. We we wanted a, a bigger version that we could like take out to your pie in the sky version yeah and if we wanted to pitch that to people we have a version of that and then we were like but here's the version we can make and we split up like ideas we were like this idea is too much for this web series version we'll put that in the big version and then we had um there's something about our script in maybe the i don't know sixth or seventh draft out of 20 i don't know (laughs) and it was like kind of not working for us and then we we gave it to a, a friend of ours who's a a tv writer and his big note was like this is missing this and thankfully we had already thought of that and taken it out because for some reason we were like this won't work so we took it back and we put it back in we had to you know we, we had to like integrate it and rewrite and to me that made like all the difference that made that made such a difference to to the story and i don't remember what you're talking about yeah and i just as i'm saying this i'm like this is so vague and stupid like i but i think it's a good reminder that like even when you have a a creative partner it's still important to get out of your own echo chamber at some point in the process and invite Mm -hmm. other people in not just because you know diversity of opinion makes work stronger but also you never know if somebody has that one key piece of information and you're like i can't believe Mm -hmm. i didn't think of it i will say because that was so long and vague uh and there are two episodes out um there if you watch the uh, the first episode there at the very beginning when you meet Ichabod, he um pulls out a little medallion and that medallion it, it comes back in the episode you see it again in the second episode and um that's what i'm referring to there's a there's a little through line for, for Ichabod there that kind of tied a lot of things together i also just want to mention that might be on topic that our director William Joseph Stribling is also our editor under a different name because he doesn't want everyone to know he's an editor. Um, (laughs) Everybody keep it cool. (laughs) Nobody say anything. Nobody Nobody try and hire him to edit, but he is, that is such a boon to us for making everything make sense and making Mm -hmm. sure we get everything and and just like him being our third 
eyeballs on everything and just being like, yeah, the, I'll get this. This will make sense. Like, and he's very like, he's really good with pacing and editing as well. So trust him. We trust him with our child. This child. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall if this came up, but where was it shot? It was shot in Heritage Square Museum, which is kind of near Highland Park in Los Angeles, okay. and as well as a ranch up in Santa Clarita and a couple of regular sets. But most of it, 90%, was on the at the Heritage Square Museum, which is a really awesome set. It's not a set. It's like a little town that's not a town where they brought all of these old historic houses from all over L.A., and it's just like this quiet little street. There's no traffic. It's just like, it's like a gated street. And it just looks like a whole town. It looks like Sleepy Hollow. Do you try to match like that it's Sleepy Hollow, New York in terms of the season and all of that? Or is it the modernization also brought to more of a West Coast kind of look? No, we were like, we want this to look like Sleepy Hollow, New York. And I think it does. There's only like one palm tree. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we got rid of the palm tree. Yes. Um, oh, nice. It is, even though we shot it in February, we shot it in winter in LA as much as that exists. It was so, there were days that it was so bright out. There was one day, it was mostly pretty cold. And then there was one day where we did a lot of outdoor stuff that was, I think it was like 90 degrees. And we are dressed like, uh, like it's October in New York. <laughs> and I'm just, I remember, I still watch that, that scene that we did. And I'm just like, oh, my back was just covered in sweat. <laughs> under under that sweater but yeah with we're, we're starting to see uh color passes of everything and, and it's great they've made it look very autumnal we're from massachusetts originally land of autumn and spooky witchcraft so i think yeah anything i do i can't imagine ever wanting anything to look west coasty that i do <laughs> i always want it to look like a new england autumn no matter what it is Same. we yeah. we keep we have this joke in shipwreck that we'll about um westerns because Sinead hates them and I'm like we're gonna do a western at some point I know it's gonna look like fall in Massachusetts <laughs> somehow an autumnal western <laughs> yeah. might be an interesting thing yeah. to try yeah totally I live an hour from Sleepy Hollow oh nice actually. that's yeah, so cool I live in upstate New York I want to go <laughs> have you ever been Sinead no I've been sent many photos by our set photographer Chris Higgins when he drives by though and it looks awesome <laughs> I've also sent the trailer to the Sleepy Hollow Facebook group and they loved it. So very happy. I actually have some questions about marketing in a second, but my, my final sort of adaptation craft question that I had was about Easter eggs, because you guys both mentioned Easter eggs before. Obviously, it's a big part of uh, adaptations, whether it's central to the plot or just sort of like little references that people will get. How are you thinking about balancing Easter eggs and the, you know, staying true to the original work with ensuring that like your adapted work stands on its own? I know you said infinite budget, infinite Easter eggs, but like realistically, what's that balancing act look like of like no I think our thing needs to have a little bit more original IP versus I think we can pull in an easter egg here I think that um w the way we do easter eggs I don't think we we do this consciously it just so happens that I don't think you need to even know it's an easter egg it works on its own whether you know what's what the joke is or not like for instance, the Tom Walker thing would have been, you didn't need to know anything about about that. I don't think this is, well, this isn't a secret, but Rip Van Winkle is a character in Headless. You don't need to know, you don't need to have read 
for Van Winkle. And I think with Poe Party, we did, we did it pretty well. I think those characters are, and this is a lot of credit to our cast. They are so distinct and so funny and they are just characters that, that you can like invest in and react to and you, you get what their thing is immediately. And you don't need to know like all of the, you don't need to have read Ernest Hemingway to get all of the jokes that people are making about him. You just get the relationship and the, and his, his dynamic to everybody and everybody to him. You don't really need to have read HG Wells to like understand our HG Wells character. But if you do, uh, it just enriches the experience, I guess. There's never, I don't want to ever put anything in our stuff that like alienates anybody that hasn't read it. No, and, and mo and that's like for the audience, but also for our purposes as well. Like, I don't want to, um, make something that like, people are scratching their heads about you know also po party we keep people who are murdered are murdered in ways that are like uh connected to their books like a way someone murders gets murdered in a book or something and that's another thing it's like you don't it doesn't matter they got murdered and if you know <laughs> if you get it that's cute that's fun but you don't have to and then they um, call it out later so yeah you'll you'll figure it out yeah yeah do you have people who are less familiar with the source material like checking over that to make sure it makes sense or at this point are you like this is intuitively this will make sense regardless of background yeah I think we're we are okay with any fogginess or errors or if something doesn't seem well like, oh, wasn't an easter egg <laughs> after all I guess fair enough I had a I don't know if it, this isn't a question at all but uh maybe it is a question Sinead, I'll pose this to you what do you think about so everything we've adapted so far and and I'm including things that we're currently working on. Mm -hmm. They are things that I do not um, like. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I'm trying to say. They are things that I do like, mm -hmm. but I do not love. Like I'm not like, oh my god, I cannot wait to adapt this. But there are things like I, I'm just going to say something that we've been working on for a while. Uh, we've been working on a Jekyll and Hyde adaptation, a modernized mm -hmm. Jekyll and Hyde adaptation, and it's like Jekyll and Hyde's like that's a that's another it's another thing where it's like I you get you know you know this premise it's very high concept you know it and then when you read it you're like really this was the thing this boring. this was it <laughs> this was Jekyll and Hyde the whole time and so it's another one of those things where it's like okay there's great elements here and. Um, how do we take extract these elements and put them in our own thing? But but it is another thing where it's like this is cool and I like this, so I don't feel like I'm married to this thing and I don't feel a lot of pressure. But if I were to adapt, now I'm blanking on literally any book that I love. <laughs> but if I were to to adapt something that was like actually like a full novel that I was like loved everything, that would probably be really really hard. And Sinead, I feel like you have a lot of novels that you love yeah and it's it's terrifying there is one in particular that i've loved for many years now that i'm like oh my god i have to be the person to make this into a tv show and i can't even get myself to like write ideas for it because i'm terrified that i would mm -hmm. destroy it and mm -hmm. people would and i think it's it's like pretty it has like a cult following and those cult is a cult <laughs> <laughs> tear tear it down if it wasn't good so i'm like oh my god but that's a really good point that i haven't thought of sean not that i i mean i do love poe and this story but yeah there's definitely like what can we bring ourselves 
to it to make it something that we would absolutely adore mm -hmm. but then things that we do absolutely adore already and that are perfect it's like how would and I, it also helps that the stuff we have been adapting is very old and a lot of it has been adapted before and um sure so there's precedent yeah. yeah and it's they've it's been adapted well it's been adapted not so well and it's just like here's our thing and if you like it cool if not go check out this one that sucks <laughs> so then come back <laughs> whereas if we were adapting like uh i don't know <laughs> like I'm blanking on any book that's come out recently. <laughs> I've never seen a movie in my life. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, if you had to make a movie about Steve Martin, yeah, forget it. I would, I would crawl in a hole and and die because I love Steve Martin, <laughs> not the other way around. But I was just thinking about like the where, where the crawdads <laughs> thing. That that's a very popular recent book. I, I did not read it, and I have no idea. I did not see the movie. I have no idea what the critical reaction to the movie was. But I would imagine if we did something like that, that would be really difficult because it's like this is the first. This is the first adaptation of this. Yeah. Maybe the last. Who knows? It'll be the last. <laughs> According to my mom, the movie is wonderful. Oh, so really? the Beth Castellini <laughs> review is wonderful. She also liked the book. I love she has book. bad taste, so we can't like really take a lot of stock in that. But she liked it. So that's the review that I have for you. <laughs> so actually, this is interesting then. Are there things that like you do love that you let let's try to pick from like classic stuff that you just never adapt for one reason or another like things that you're like this is not our lane or i don't think that it needs to be adapted or like is there is there are there any parameters where you're like it, this is a no-go for us really good question i don't i don't know that i've ever thought about like what i wouldn't adapt there's definitely movies that i'm like this doesn't need a remake <laughs> sure and i was just gonna say clue and then i was like oh we didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did it but in a way like that's how you might adapt something is is taking the thing that you love about it and really just changing it up so it's like we obviously didn't remake clue that movie is perfect mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we kind of did <laughs> but yeah i in terms of like thinking about something that doesn't need to be adapted that's a good question that i i think maybe we don't think in terms of that because we are also in we have a foot in Hollywood and we are trying to get hired and nothing is off limits in Hollywood. And if somebody was like, Hey, uh, we're rebooting Roger Rabbit, you're hired. Um, <laughs> there, you know, deep down, I'd be like, this is the worst idea. You guys should all be fired. Uh, but on the <laughs> other hand, I'd be like, thank you. Where is the, where do I sign? Sure. And then, and then I, and then I'd have an anxiety attack, but I also a check, which is not nothing. Yeah. A check and an anxiety. You're paying for it somehow. I just I just remembered another adaptation that we did that, that we did a like a pitch for and and I really love it. It's um Encyclopedia Brown. Oh wow! Mm. Oh man, <laughs> that takes me back. There's been so many Nancy Drew adaptations. I know. Like, has there been an Encyclopedia Brown one? There is. There was an HBO show. What about? Give the boy a chance. <laughs> yeah, it's high time that the boys got a shot. <laughs> the boys have had it rough for <laughs> a couple of years now. The, we did, we did a, uh, an MGM writers program application thing. And I think we got to like the final round and one of the, like the into the final round was we had to take an existing MGM IP and pitch how we would update it. And um, was it part of that or was, no, this was like we met with like a Warner Brothers 
sub company, which probably doesn't exist <laughs> as of the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I was gonna say certainly the last couple of weeks. No, and they were like, we just met with like I had a general shipwreck meeting, and we were like, here's what we do, and they were like, we love it. You guys got any ideas for this stuff? Which is basically, I'm not bragging. This is how every meeting goes. Every meeting, they love you, and uh, you send them a follow up, and then you nobody yeah, ever nobody hears sure. anything. Right. Um, but we came up with some stuff for like Looney Tunes, and we came up with this Encyclopedia Brown thing, and that was so fun. And that was like a real adaptation, like taking the idea of what that was and just doing something really different with it. And that's something that I loved as a child like I loved Encyclopedia Brown that's I think as close as I've gotten to like trying to adapt something that's like really really close to me but also that's it's also very old so I think that's like a buffer for me like well it's old so <laughs> right no that makes sense uh so okay my my marketing question so I'm curious because like obviously everything you do has some element of if not adaptation like it, there's referencing to it like Gilded Lily isn't specifically a adaptation of anything but it's obviously a reference to a vibe a style of filmmaking a time period so I'm curious is there a difference in the way that you market or have found marketing to go when you're adapting something that has an existing fan base versus something that you're kind of having to make up whole cloth? Definitely. I think not for marketing, because we do the same thing, no matter what, we just try really hard. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just never, ever shut up. My best advice. And we hired a publicist for, for this current project. But I will say that things with a following are just more popular. <laughs> <laughs> Original stuff is real hard to get people on board with. IP is the name of the game. Which is a bummer sometimes, but yeah, that's been my experience so far. Very cool. All right. So my final wrap-up question is for other people interested in doing adaptations, do you have any advice that you wish maybe you'd had when you were starting out or things that you've learned over the course of your time adapting that you're like, everyone needs to know these couple of things? I don't know. I think it's it's been a little different for us every time. And it, I think it depends on what you're adapting and, and maybe more importantly, what you're turning it into because Poe Party and Headless are, even though they're both 10 or 11 episode long form serialized mysteries, they're, they're very different. And they're also different source materials like Poe Party is more of a pastiche and then Headless is more of like a direct adaptation. Um, I guess I'm just um, rambling while I try to think of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I guess identify the elements that really that, that you really love about the thing. And by that I mean like characters, relationships and the the themes, themes. The, yeah, the 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 stuff that that the work is dealing with and and then figure out a big picture of like how that all fits together in your thing. And then once you have that, a lot of a lot of that a lot of the extra stuff like bringing in other characters. I mean, that happens later. We're not. It doesn't arrive. That stuff doesn't all arrive fully formed when we're thinking about this stuff. Like we pitched, uh, or you know, Sinead pitched um, headless as like Ichabod and the headless horseman live together, and the whole thing is set in their house. It's one set, and every now and then Brom comes in. And we were like, okay, what's Brahm like? And actually, we we figured out Brahm immediately, and he hasn't changed. And then it's like, well, Cat 
Katrina has to be there. And like every now and then she comes in and it's like, great. And then we had that. And then it was like, and then we just built on top of that. And then we were like, well, and then we reread Sleepy Hollow and we were like, oh, here's what the, here's what it's like about, or here's some of the stuff that it's about that we like. It's about other stuff that we don't really care about or, (laughs) or that we don't respond to that much or that wasn't honestly wasn't, you know, we, we don't, you don't have to be beholden to every single thing that's going on in the source. I would say for mine, adding on to that, going back to the whole like informed by character thing, just making sure that you do your modern or not modern, it doesn't have to be modern, but like you're doing it now. So modern update of what you think the character's journey is because even though it's an adaptation, I feel like that can change because we're in a new time. And even if you're making like the new persuasion is in the same time that it was written, but I feel like she, whether you like the movie or not, I didn't hate it as much as a lot of other people did. Um, I definitely think she uh, has a different point of view than say the other movies that have been made of persuasion. So I just think like updating all of your your character's journeys and arcs is very important too, even if you're doing like a very straightforward adaptation. Because you want it to be different. You want it to be your own thing. Especially when you're doing stuff that's like been around for a long time and it has gone through a lot of, uh, there have been a lot of other hands taking it and molding it into something else. It's like, what do you want to do? Like, what's your take on it? Whereas something that like just came out, like when a movie, when a book comes out and a movie comes out the next year, it's like, well, why (laughs) but there's plenty of reasons why when you're doing something like persuasion or or sleepy hollow or something like that knowing your why knowing what your take is i think is a good place to start and then making sure that you know you stay true to that vision the whole way through i think wraps this conversation up nicely so plug time headless (laughs) is coming out right now actively so where can people find headless and where can people follow you both as you continue to do uh, additional weird and wonderful things well you can watch headless on our youtube channel uh, youtube.com slash shipwrecked comedy and follow Shipwrecked on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, Sean Prasad, MD. I'm a doctor. Um, <laughs> I'm Sinead Prasad. Good luck spelling that on Twitter. And I'm Sinead Persuade on Instagram, which I should really change because it's so confusing. Why did I do yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, but mostly Shipwrecked. That's the important thing. And when it, what when are new episodes coming out of Headless? New episodes drop on Mondays, and our they will lead up to our finale on Halloween. And yeah, like that, we were talking about this before. We do a week to week. We love a week to week. And then also, uh, one of our stretch goals for the Kickstarter was a side show called Unsolved Babe Stories, and the babes are uh, side characters in Headless. Uh, they're Brahms henchmen, and um, they. They have their own show in the in world. A little more janky than the <laughs> yeah. actual main show going on. They're making it themselves, so it doesn't look yeah. as great. And you can watch that starting on. Um, oh boy, should have had that ready to go. Hold on, <laughs> Damn, on everybody. The podcast. Yeah, we're gonna cut it in, and it'll be like Sean was so prepared for this interview. <laughs> we could not believe how prepared he was. <laughs> that uh, so unsolved babe story starts airing on Thursdays. Starts on the fifteenth of September, and that's gonna give you a little bit more of a an insight into each of our our headless heads, headless horsemen. As you will see when you watch the show, that the horsemen can turn into other characters and um Mm. we'll be exploring those characters a little bit more 
through through that show. You also have some uh, additional transmedia accounts, right, for this show? We do, yeah. We have a uh, Travel Sleepy Hollow on Instagram, and that one is open to everybody. We have four character Instagrams that are open to Kickstarter backers that are s- sort of going to just flesh out some of the things happening on the show. And then also, if you're a Patreon member, we have a weekly talk back show on on Saturdays called Talking Heads, where we invite some guests on from that week's episode. We talk a little bit about what it was like to film and and what's going on and everything. And so how they like their face mask, their face shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's face mask opinions <laughs> is included. Where they abandoned it on set. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I just, you know, I wanted to mention that we, uh, we had Jenny Powell on a couple episodes ago to talk about the craft of interactive storytelling and transmedia. Um, and so I wanted to hear a little bit about that. Oh yeah. It's, it's intense. And we're only doing, we're only running five Instagram accounts and it's like, only five it's basically (laughs) nothing this is normie shit (laughs) all right cool well thanks so much for for hanging out with us today and everybody go watch headless thanks for having us no thank you thanks so much to kelsey rauber for our theme music kaylee brown for our podcast art ezra lee for editing this episode and to all of you for listening links to learn more about them and our guest are in our episode description And thank you to our booby VIPs, who are our $10 supporters on Patreon. That's Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, Norman Steinberg, and Brandy Nicole Payne. If you want your name on that list and or you want to have access to all of our bonus resources related to each and every podcast episode we post for free, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. Next episode, we'll be discussing the craft of making a proof of concept with special guest Megan Ross. Be sure to tune in.